Tonight, I'd like to begin our series of meetings with a sermon about God. Uh, God has had a rough go in the last few years as far as this country is concerned. There are many people who no longer have respect or adoration or any reverence for God. And I'm sorry to say that there are people within the Lord's house who do not appreciate who God is. So we're going to take our time tonight and we're going to talk about who God is. We're going to talk about the character of God. And I'm going to stress the idea over and over again because I think this is where we make a mistake. God is not like man. He's not like us. We're not like him. And I think uh, many times we get to thinking that we're like God or he's like us. And anytime you do that, you're going to make a terrible mistake because that's not the way that God is. I'm going to use five little words I've written up here on the board. And these five words, if you notice, they all begin with a little four-letter prefix, O-M-N-I. Now, O-M-N-I is um, the word omni, and it just means all. Whatever we're talking about, God is all of it. Now, that is without restrictions. He's all of it. I began to think about this lesson some time ago. And the reason I did, I had the opportunity to study with a young man who was a preacher wannabe. And we were studying a particular verse. And I happened to look up at him and just at the right time or maybe just at the wrong time. And he had his eyes roll back in his head. It was obvious that while we were talking about God, he just didn't believe it. I don't, I don't even want to start in on how that went across me at that second uh, because it was something which is the most aggravating thing I had to deal with in a long time. The very idea that somebody could question what God can do. So I decided, you know, we need to know better than that. I'll tell you what it was in more detail when I get to it here again in a few minutes. We're going to use, um, for those of you that like to read along, it'll be easy. We're going to use the 139th Psalm as the basis for our study. Verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings and my uprisings. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Now that's just a little introduction, and we're going to talk about God. Before we do, though, we want to use our privilege of prayer. We're going to ask you, if you will, to humble yourself in some fashion while the brother selected words of prayer. I find in general, in this country anyway, that uh, most of our society has lost its concern about God. And you know what I also understand? That this nation is exceptional compared to the rest of the world. The rest of the world, for the most part, has no use for God whatsoever. But our country, which we used to be able to say was a God-fearing country, is no longer that. Nowadays, we find that there are many people who do everything they possibly can to do away with the concept of God. Sadly, these people, if they try hard enough, will convince themselves that there is no God. I'd like to talk about this idea a little bit this evening and show you how man has degraded God and brought God down to his level. And that's a tragedy when you begin to do that. I find out that the very name of God nowadays is used by many people as nothing more than a byword. People curse and swear by the name of God. The Old Testament, Leviticus, the 19th chapter, verse 12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall thy profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. The word profane, if you just look up it up in the dictionary, means literally to use with irreverence, with contempt, to pollute, and here's the bad one, to make common. What do you do? When you use the name of God just as a byword, when you swear and curse for the name of God, uh, you have, for all practical purposes, made God common. And God is most uncommon. 
Uh, it is something which we begin to think that uh, we are like God. You know, I find that there are people uh, on the television, we see them from time to time, so-called comedians, and they laugh and scoff at the idea of God. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, I wouldn't even want to be standing next to a person who's ridiculing the idea of God. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere around somebody like that. And yet it's very common for us to see things after that purpose. People who ridicule God. There are those who have no respect uh, or, or uh, adoration for God whatsoever. One night, um, several years ago, quite a long time ago now, I was coming home from a gospel meeting somewhere way long in the middle of the night, and I was listening to the radio, and uh, I'm a big talk show radio person. And back in those days, um, there was a radio station in Del Rio, Texas, at about uh, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, it would come on. Now, I soon learned that this was sort of an outlaw station. They had their transmitter over in old Mexico, and they had their programmer or the office over in the, uh, in the United States. Now, the reason for that is, in old Mexico, they could do anything they wanted to do. And that transmitter would come on, and it'd just blow everybody out of the air. And they would go on all night long. You could hear anything you wanted to hear if you just stay tuned. Well, I was staying tuned, and this per person had a talk show, and he had a woman on there as a guest. And this woman ran a house of prostitution. You know, they were letting people call in, and they were just hee-hawing and having a big thing out of this. They'd call in and talk to this woman, and she was gross, and she'd ridicule everything that was holy and upright. And I'm riding along there thinking, when is somebody going to call in? and call her hand on this. Well, finally, some little woman called in, and uh, she said, what do you think God thinks about the business you're in? And you know what, I'm, I'm ready to say, yahoo, there's somebody out there who's insulted by this. She said, what do you think God thinks about the business you're in? And I thought that'll really get, a, get back on that woman, you know, just that quick. I mean, she never even hesitated. She said, I don't care what God thinks about my business. He can take care of his business and I'll take care of mine. And I thought, you know, that's the way people think. That woman had no adoration of God. She had no reverence or respect for God. She didn't care what he thought. And I find that that's a general attitude that a lot of people have. I already told you about the little preacher wannabe rolled his eyes up in his head uh, because he didn't think God could do what we were talking about. I'm afraid that we've missed um, the character of God because, you know, it is something that uh, we want to be pretty important ourselves. And I'm going to try to illustrate this just a little bit as we go along. I'm going to begin again there in Psalms 39 at verse 1. O Lord, thou search me and known me. Thou knowest my down sittings and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Now, what is this? Well, this is the one up here on top. This is omni, all, omniscient, omniscient. Uh, the idea is all-knowing. God knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. And when I began to study on that, I thought, now, what does that mean? He knows my uprisings. He knows my sitting down. He knows what I lay down. You know, that must be something figurative. There must be some hidden meaning to that. So I studied and I studied and I tried to find out exactly what the indication was. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that God knows when you sit down. He knows when you get up. He knows everything about simple things like that. This is not some hidden meaning. It is just the idea that God knows all about us and everybody else. Uh, it is something which, again, is illustrated by these first four verses that I just read. Uh, he understands my thoughts are far off. 
Now, I don't know what you're thinking about. And believe me, I don't want to know. I'd like to think that everybody here, your mind's just wrapped on everything I'm saying. Now, I doubt that is the case. Like I say, I would like for that to be the case. But whatever you're thinking about, God knows it. And here's the catch to this. He understands if your thoughts are far off. The next thought that hasn't run through your head yet, uh, he already knows it. In other words, he pre-knows everything you're going to think about. Uh, this is something which illustrates to me uh, God has an ability that you and I can't even think about. He knows our thoughts are far off. The Bible says he compasses my path. You know what a compass is, don't you? A compass is an ancient piece of equipment. Uh, basically, all a compass does is show you uh, north, magnetic north to be exactly. Uh, this little needle that's in this watch-looking thing, it spins around and eventually points straight to north. Now, the understanding is, if you know which way north is, then you'll know east, west, and south, and you can calculate your direction that way. Well, the Bible says God, he compasses my way. You know, I have people tell me all the time, especially young people, there's several young people in this audience, maybe you've thought about this too. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just sort of a wandering around through life. Well, you know, you may not know what you're doing and doing or where you're heading, but God does. He is aware of you. He knows the direction you're taking, and he is acquainted with all of our ways, the Bible says. Uh, this is something which God knows. He understandeth uh, the words of my tongue. Now, again, I don't know uh, you preachers and teachers in the audience, whether you ever had the experience that I have, I have an experience once in a while, and I preach myself into a corner. And Darlene, who rolls me about this, she knows whenever it happens, and she'll tell me after services, you just couldn't wait to hear what you had to say next, could you? I, I was at a loss for thought. I wasn't for sure what I was going to say. But God knew. He knew what I was going to say before I said it. You see, he knows things like this. Again, I would ask you this as I draw this idea down to a close. And by the way, each one of these is going to have a summary down to the end. Um, does it hold any intimidation to you to be dealing with a God who knows more about you than you know about yourself? You know, the Bible uses indications like this one, Matthew 10, verse 30. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, you know, we have men who have bushy heads with lots of hair on their head. We have men who have moderate size amount of hair on their head. We have some who have a little. We have some who have less. Uh, there was one person in the Lord's church who didn't have not one hair on his whole body. Is that important? Well, to some people it is, but it's really not. The important thing is God knows how many hairs are on your head. The idea is he wants you to understand he knows about you. He knows how many hairs there are on your head. Now, you know, I find out that this is uh, intimidating as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it is something which allows me to understand that God knows everything about me. All the shams and all the hypocrisies and all the put-ons and all the fronts, he sees right through those things. You know, we may deceive each other occasionally. We may deceive people on a regular basis. But you don't deceive God. He's not deceived. He knows the real you, unlike anybody else. God knows you. You know, finally, this is our little summary. Man, who on many occasions has gotten too smart for God, 
is dealing with a God who knows more about him than he knows about himself. Uh, God knows everything. Let's go again. Verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Now what does he say? He says, if I go off into heaven, thou art there. What are we talking about? God is omnipresent. You're all of this for now. That means he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Uh, the writer says, if I went out into heaven. Now, you know, the Bible uses heaven in three ways. There is a heaven, which is this atmosphere around us that we're sitting here breathing tonight. Uh, that's the first heaven. There's a second heaven. This is what we call outer space. And then there's another heaven where God lives. I believe the psalmist is talking about the idea of what we call outer space or the universe. Now, when I went to school, I was a science major. I love science. But I didn't care anything about um, the idea to study the moon and the stars and the universe and the planets. And I just wasn't interested in astrology. N n n uh, nothing whatsoever. Uh, astronomy is the word I should use. I wasn't interested in that. But you know when I got to reading and thinking about this lesson, I went back and looked again. And it is amazing, this universe that you and I live in. And the thing which first got my attention uh, was uh, something that happened a few years ago. Out in Mount Palomar, California, is the world's largest telescope. And there are scientists out there who, on a regular basis, look out in space through this telescope. And the best time to look is a dark night. One dark night, they had this telescope straining out into the universe, and they got it wound down to the highest power they could get. And you know what? They saw another planet, a planet past Pluto. Now, when I went to school, the furthest planet out there was Pluto. Uh, there's another planet uh, past Pluto. So they tightened her down a little bit more. You know what they saw? They saw another planet past the planet past Pluto. And I'm convinced if they ever get that thing sharp enough and powerful enough, there's no telling what they'll see out there. It is unbelievable outer space. Uh, it is something which um, man is just beginning to think about and yet the Bible says if I were able to go out there to the furthest reaches of heaven, thou art there. Now I want to emphasize right, right here and I'll say it again in a minute. Notice it says God thou art there. Not his influence, not his word, he is there. All right, he says, if I went out to the um, ends of the ocean, now, I don't know how much David had seen the ocean. I'm sure he'd seen the Mediterranean Sea. You've probably been to the ocean or you've been to some big lake. And, you know, if you look at the horizon of a big lake, it just looks like it goes on and on and on. He said, if I got out there to the end of this, this uh, ocean, thou art there. And then he gets poetic about it. He said, if I could take the wings of the morning, couldn't get away from God. You know what the wings of the morning are? Well, I'll illustrate like this. Suppose the next time you're out here in the country, uh, down on the lake or out uh, somewhere where you can see the horizon, you're waiting just for a few minutes to see the sun come up. It is just about time for the sun to come up. And you're watching the eastern horizon, and all of a sudden the sun peaks over the horizon. How does the light come across the earth? Does it say, oh, 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 here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, there it goes. Is that the way it does it? No, it doesn't do it like that. Suppose tonight I had a, this room totally dark. 
We're going to turn off all the lights and make it pitch black in here. And I've got a good strong flashlight and I stand up here and I flip it on. How does the light travel across this room? It's this bench and that bench and the bench yonder splashes on the wall? No. It just hits the wall. How does it do that? Well, it travels with the wings of the morning. You know what the wings of the morning are? It's the speed of light. 186,000 miles per second. If I could run 186,000 miles per second, I couldn't get away from God. He'd be there. Now you see what this is telling us? He is there. And again, I emphasize, he did not say his influence. He did not say his word. He said, thou art there. It is here that the young preacher rolled his eyes up. We were studying Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. And the Bible says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And he didn't believe that. Now I'm going to tell y'all, tonight we are gathered together here in the name of Jesus Christ, and he's here. Not his influence, not his word, he's here. Down in Ada, Oklahoma, where I live, they're meeting same time. You know, he's there. If they're meeting uh, anywhere else in the United States, he's there. If they're meeting in Africa, he's there. If they're meeting anywhere on the face of this earth, He's there. Now don't you dare roll your eyes up in your head. If you do, that means you just think God's like you are. And he's not like you are. We find out that this is something that ridiculing, scoffing man who occupies about three square feet. And of course, this depends on how big you are before they compact you and how hard they compact you. But it's be something about that. That's all we occupy is dealing with a God who occupies the universe. Again, I'm going to go on at verse um, 11. <coughs> if I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. You know what that tells us? God is omnivisual. He sees everything. He says, you know, it doesn't matter to God. If it's dark, he sees you. If it's light, he sees you. You know when most of the crimes and most of the sins are committed in this world? They're committed at night. You know why they're committed at night, of course. We don't see good at night. Does that hinder God from seeing the crimes and the sins of man? Not at all. It doesn't make him any difference if it's night or, or day. Uh, it is all the same as far as he's concerned because he sees everything. Now I'm going to add something to this and this just keeps getting better. Look a little further on down. This is going to go with the same category. The psalmist said, my, sum, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being imperfect and in thy book, all of my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. That sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? You know what he's saying there? God saw me when I was nothing but the substance of a man. The substance of a human being. Now, you know, I, I don't think that David knew anything about genetics, but he wrote the inspiration. And we have learned in the last few years uh, that uh, what we are, uh, physically speaking and mentally speaking, uh, is, is determined by our genes. 
A big deal about that now. And we talk about DNA and RNA. You know, uh, he uses the term, we're curiously wrought. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I looked that up, and it means that we are woven. We are curiously woven. You know what a human being starts as at conception? Uh, a system of ribbons. We've got these ribbons, Mama furnishes half and Daddy furnishes half, and these ribbons have got genetic codes all up and down them. Um, they tell you how tall you're going to be, what color your hair is going to be, what color your eyes are going to be, how smart you're going to be. Uh, everything about you, everything about you is on these ribbons that are woven together. I couldn't put that in layman's terms and do any better than that. And these things were written down hundreds and hundreds of years before man ever had any concept of the, the elements of a human being. You know, this is something again, which uh, I have to take a little tangent on right here. We're living in a very sad time when literally hundreds of thousands of babies are killed before they have a chance to be born. And you know the people who um, believe this is all right, and I'm amazed this United States, the pagans we got in this country is ready to kill their babies for their own convenience. That's all it amounts to. Uh, this little thing that we abort, you know what they call it? It's a baby. No, no, no. It's not a baby. It is a human being. No, it's not a human being. Uh, this thing that we tear out of the mama's womb and throw it in a trash can. It's a little boy. No, it's not a little boy. No. It's a little girl. Now we sure don't do that to little girls. We love little girls. What is it? It is a fetus. And they spit that word out like they're talking about a rock. You know what a fetus is? A fetus is a human being. It is a, a little boy or a little girl. It's a baby. There's something I learned about this when I was studying about it. Y'all remember a few years ago, a Surgeon General for the United States was Dr. G. Edward Coop. Bless his heart. I meant to look up Dr. Coop before I preach this again. I forgot to. I don't know if he still lived or not. But Dr. Coop said, the only difference between a fetus and an adult is just a little time. Just a little time. And when, it, when does he become a human being? And then people argue, oh, and it take his, he has to take his first breath. And that's, a, that's not true either. The Bible says, when I was nothing more than the substance of a human being, God wrote me down in his book. God knew me. He wrote me down. He saw me when I was nothing but the substance of a human being. That ought to call all of us to sit back on our haunches and think about that just a little bit. The casual way in which the world treats our babies. It is something which is quite amazing as far as I'm concerned. And there are going to be people who answer for that very thing. It is something which, again, and if you look up here, I'll show you how uh, this is. I'm going to use the front of this pulpit here as my uh, illustration. See this corner right here? 
I'll just use myself for an example. This is me. This is me when I was conceived in my mother's womb, when I was a substance of a human being. You see this quarter over here? That's me. Can you see that across there? That's the way God sees me if he wants to. He sees me for the time I was conceived till I take my last breath on this earth. Now let's get bigger than me. Let's start again over here in this corner. This corner now is Genesis 1 at verse 1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. That's it right there. See this corner over here? This is Revelation 22 when the angel said, it's done. Beginning to done. God sees it all. He sees it all. God sees everything. And man, uh, who scarcely can see off the end of his nose, uh, is dealing with God who sees it all. Uh, let's try another one. And going on to verse uh, 14, we skipped over. Back up to verse 14, he says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now this is my favorite one of these. God is omnific. I preached this once when I first started preaching it. And after services, a teacher came around to me. Now don't misunderstand me, I love teachers. And I think teachers are a special calling and there's nothing, uh, teachers, good teachers can do wonderful things in people's lives. Well, a teacher came around to me and she said, you made that one up. And by the way, she was an English teacher. That even made it better. She said, you made that one up. Said, there's no such word as omnific. And I said, well, I appreciate the compliment. But when you get home, you look it up. And she come back the next night, little sheepish, and she said, yeah, you're right. That, it is a word. You know what that word means? All creating. God is all creating. And he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am. So are you. You know, we are distinguished from all the rest of creation. We're not like um, inanimate objects. We're not like rocks and trees and the dirt. We're not like beasts and birds and fishes. We're not like creeping things. We're human beings. The human body is the crowning glory of God's creative ability. There's nothing quite like a human body. The man had been studying the human body almost since the beginning of time. They're still studying the human body. And you know we have several MDs in the church now. And they're not the only ones. I've asked other doctors about uh, this question. I said, what do you think about what you know about medicine now? And they'll still say, there's more I don't know than I do know. Because a human body is a miracle. That's the best I can put it. It is a miracle, and I believe I can describe it to you. Uh, have you ever wondered why doctors say that they're practicing medicine? A doctor may have been doctored for 50 years, but he's still practicing medicine. Does that bother anybody but me? You know, I've been preaching for, this is going on 51 years, and just to be honest, I don't feel like I'm practicing tonight. But if a doctor's been working at medicine for 51 years, he's still practicing. Now, I'm just using this for the point. Don't misunderstand this. I have the greatest appreciation in the world for the medical profession. And my family is full of nurses, and so I appreciate them. But suppose you're sick and you're feeling really bad, bad enough to go to the doctor. So you go to the doctor. 
Now, if your doctor's like mine, the first thing you have to do is diagnose yourself. Now, get, get this. You're paying the big money to her, and you're diagnosing yourself. Well, they uh, diagnose you. Uh, you diagnose yourself, and they say, yeah, yeah, you're pretty sick. Uh, I'm going to write you a prescription, and I'll call it down to Walmart, and you go down there and get it. Now, this is a little pricey. This is $89, but this is good medicine. So you go get the $89 medicine, and you take it for the week. At the end of the week, you are really sick now. You just thought you were sick a week ago. Now you're really sick. You feel so bad, you don't even want to go to the doctor. So you call down to the doctor, and you tell him what's wrong, and he says, well, we got to do something. Uh, throw all that medicine away, and I'll call you another one. Now, this one's just $29. So you go get to $29, and you take a uh, $29 medicine, you take it for the week. At the end of the week, you are genuine sick now. You don't even feel like lifting your head off the pillow. You don't even want to get up. So you get somebody to call for you and tell them what's going on. The doctor, he really gets excited now. He says, well, let's do something else. So go down there and get this medicine. It's just $9. Uh, it, maybe it'll work. So you go get, or have somebody go get the $9 medicine. You take it for a week, and you're well. Now, you'd have probably been well anyway in three weeks. But you know what the doctor does the next time he sees somebody kind of like you were to start with? He gives them the $9 medicine. If it worked for you, maybe it'll work for somebody else. That's called practicing medicine. But you know what? I find that the human body is awesome in a way which was, it confounds me. Uh, I was raised up B.C. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's before computers. And I was hanging around with some of the young preachers, and they all had computers and they were showing me how they could uh, bring up a, write a sermon and change it and move it around, add verses. And, and I thought, oh, that's wonderful. Man, I got to have me one of those. Uh, so finally I got Brother Bill Curtis. I don't know if y'all know him or not. He's a computer whiz and lived at Moore for a long time, Moore, Oklahoma. I talked to Bill. And he said, yeah, well, I'll get you one and I'll help you get started. So in about three months he calls me and said, you got your computer yet? I said, no, no, I'm waiting to get them things perfected. He said, they won't ever get it perfected. You just got to dive in. So Darlene and I went down and got us a computer. And we bought a little desk to set it on. And we set it on a desk. And we walked around admiring it like two monkeys looking at the moon. We couldn't even turn this thing on. So we decided we needed to get some education. So we went to college. And uh, we got a woman who was a computer teacher. And she had a computer setting up there where we could all see it. And she was really into it. Uh, she would ask the computer a question. And then she would sit there. And she, she'd sit there and pat it while it was groaning and moaning and getting the answer on the screen. And she'd say, he's really working, isn't he? And he was. And we're all blown away, you know. Look what this thing can do. Well, I got home and struggled with it again. But I wasn't going to let a machine get the best of me. I decided, you know, this just can't happen. Uh, after all, I have a brain. And everything in that machine was put in there by a human brain. Your brain is wonderful. You ever seen a brain? Most of you have seen some kind of a brain. 
It is a human brain is about the size of two fists, and it's a gray, mushy, fleshy material. It has all kinds of convolutions and wrinkles in, in it. And um, this brain remembers everything you've ever done. You know, you can smell something, it brings back a memory. You can hear something, it reminds you of something. You can see something, it reminds you of something. You learn something, you think, I need to know it. You can call it back. You know how it does that? Well, it's real easy. Uh, up here on your brain, there are little uh, electrical points. And you want to remember something, it just um, fires around and finds it up there in one of those wrinkles and brings it up. Well, really, it's not electrical. It's chemical. We got all these little chemical stations around on our brain, and you're trying to think of something, and it's, these chemicals are, you know, I don't understand it. I have never been able to understand how you could store a thought in a piece of meat. How is that possible? It is something that is a wondrous thing. You know, the, the simplest human mind is superior to the most complex computer. I want to ask you all three questions. I don't want any show of hands or anything, but I would like you to think about it as long as it takes. Uh, what's your first name? Anybody need help? No, we, we got that right off. Uh, what state in the United States are we in? And how's the weather outside? Did you have any trouble with those? I didn't either. You're not going to get the answer almost as quick as I could ask the questions. Did you hear any moaning or groaning? Or, no. We just knew the answers. Now, how is that possible for us to do? That is possible because we have a brain that God gave us. Man has never duplicated it. He has used it for many good things. But the human mind is unbelievable. You know, furthermore, I find out that man has never created anything. You know what the word create means? It means to make out of nothing. There's a lot of um, brouhaha going around nowadays about cloning. And I understand they've cloned a little sheep. I believe they did. Uh, I think they cloned some dogs. I, I believe they probably did that. But you know how they cloned that little sheep? Did they clone that little sheep making it out of nothing? No. You know what they had to have to start with? They had to have a living cell. And I, influence, uh, I emphasize the idea of living. That cell from that little sheep had to be living. Who put the life in that little cell? Some scientists? No. God is the only one who can do that. And that little cell out of that little that sheep was put in a little petri dish and encouraged to grow. And if it grew like they wanted it to, it produced another sheep. Now what did man do? Fed the living cell, that's all he did. Who gave the life? God did. I want to go on record right now saying, man in all of his wisdom will never create anything. He'll never create anything. Man, in all of his wisdom, will never give life to the smallest little one-cell organism. He'll never do that. Because that's not something man can do. Now, I hear things about, you know, this uh, artificial life. You ever think about that? That's one of those um, oxymorons like jumbo shrimp. 
There's no such thing as artificial life. It's either alive or it's not. That's all there is to that. We hear people talk about um, uh, different types of life. Only God can give life. Man, in all of his worldly wisdom, as we said, has never created one atom of anything. He has never given life to the simplest little one-cell organism, and he never will. God gives life. God creates. Last of all for tonight, verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Out of here. This is the word omnipotent. You know what that means? all-powerful. He is not limited to knowing everything or being everywhere or seeing everything or creating everything. He is all-powerful. Almighty. You know, right here, and I've thought about this a lot, I've been listening to our brethren pray for a long time. And you know, I understand by the prayer example Jesus gave us that it's a proper thing to begin our prayers by praising God. You remember the, and the, uh, the prayer that Jesus gave? He said, hallowed be thy name. In other words, holy is thy name. Now, I believe there's a lot of ways to open your prayers. And uh, our, you as our, our brethren, we know how to open a prayer to God. We can speak to him in terms that we praise him and praise his name. But it seems to me like our old brethren used to pray a whole lot to God Almighty or Almighty God. I rarely hear that anymore. What's wrong with getting down on your knees and saying, our almighty God? Why is that hard if it is? Is that hard? I think it's hard sometimes because we think we're pretty almighty ourselves. Why is it hard to say almighty God? It may not be for you. Some people, I believe it is. Uh, God is almighty. When Jesus was here on this earth, <clears throat> Uh, in Matthew the um, eighth chapter, he ran upon a Roman centurion. Now, you all know I wrote the book, the commentary on the book of Acts, and I got to know several centurions. Every single centurion in the New Testament is a man of ethics and principle. I believe you had to be that kind of a man to get to be a captain of a hundred Roman soldiers. That's what a centurion was. All of them are men of principle. Well, Jesus meets a centurion in Matthew chapter 9, and the centurion, or chapter 8, verse 9, and the centurion comes up to the Lord, and he said, um, my servant is sick. You just give the word, and he will be healed. He said, I am a man of authority myself. I tell my soldiers to go, and they go. I tell them to come, and they come. All you've got to do is give the word. You know what Jesus said? Not in all of Israel have I seen such faith. What that centurion know? He knew authority was best shown by the fact that you could just give the word. Well, do you know, by the word of God, heaven and earth and all things therein were created. By the word of God, heaven and earth and all things therein will be destroyed. By God's word, kingdoms were raised. By God's word, kingdoms have been destroyed. By God's word, men have been raised from the dead. By God's word, men have dropped dead. By God's word, bread fell out of the sky. By God's word, fire rained out of heaven. By God's word, the earth that then was was drowned in a universal flood. By God's word, the earth that now is is going to be burned up. 
How's he going to do all that? By his word. How can he do that? Because he's almighty God. He's almighty God. I have to tell you one other thing. Man, haughty as he is, and blustering about his power, is dealing with an all-powerful God. This all-powerful God loves you. He loves me. He loves us so much that he gave the greatest gift in heaven. Now, this is the part I don't understand. So we can go to heaven and live with him. You think about that. This God we've been describing, this almighty God, has done all he can to get you to heaven with him. <coughs> he gave you that opportunity to go and live with him. That's amazing, isn't it? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.